Hey guys, how's it going? Matt from Foulball Productions here. Thank you so very much for joining me today. I hope that you're doing well, because I'm doing phenomenally. Thank you so very much. It's Amber for Podcast. <clears throat> Let me try that one more time. It's the Amber for Podcast, number 11. You're on your FM dial, tuning in here for the show. Thank you so very much for joining me. I really appreciate that you're here. Uh, this is the 11th episode of this solo endeavor that I've been doing. Uh, it's been pretty fun. Thank you for taking the journey with me. I hope that you've enjoyed all the shows. And if you haven't, you still get to enjoy Luke. And who doesn't like Luke? Luke is a good fluffy boy. Yes, he is. Yes, he very much is. Ah, uh, yes, sir. It is Wednesday. Wednesday here in Austin, Texas. I am chilling. I am just cooling out. Um... So last week I was telling, talking to you guys a little bit about how I was kind of, I uh, might have a problem with alcohol. Not crazy about that. Well, I, I must say that I think over the past week and a half I have drank significantly less. Now, I can't say in good faith that I have quit because I have not. I have been drinking, but it's much more sparingly, much more sparse. I'd say the only, only night I really feel like I got tuned up was Friday, the cocktail lounge, which, you know, is kind of par for the course. And even that wasn't that bad. And I got to say, like, overall, it's a lot easier to handle. You know, it's a lot easier to get through uh, the days. It was not, it's not as, it's not as um, challenging as I thought it was going to be. What it really requires for me is just a little bit of willpower. Uh, and really, it's, it's more don't have the next drink. You know, it's not don't drink at all, although, you know, I'm sure there's benefits to that. And the, the nights that I, I was sober these past few days, which I think, you know, totals it to be like four or five, something like that, where I was completely sober. Uh, you know, great, because I sleep a little bit better, and then I'll wake up in the morning kind of fresh and ready to go, you know. And I, that's one thing I've really been trying to focus on is my sleep schedule. Going to bed at midnight when I can and waking up at eight, you know, to the best of my ability. Um but yeah, it's it's been one of those things where I've been trying to just kind of keep an eye on it, you know, and, and it wasn't uh, like just being like, all right, I'm just going to stop now. Not as bad as I, I don't know, imagined. I think when you're sort of like a heavy drinker, you get conditioned, you know, you get very comfortable with this sort of lifestyle of like, oh, I got to have the next drink. You got to, you always got to be looking for the next drink because there's, if you drink a lot, anyone but you have that little drop off, you know, when you're basically getting hung over like right away. It's like, well, that's something you're always trying to avoid. But when you're home or you're getting ready to go to bed or you're not really doing anything, it's actually not that big of a deal uh, that I'm learning. So it's one of those things I've just had to kind of like, okay, all I got to do really here is push past. And that's not that, not that much. So progress. I feel healthier. Um, I feel overall better as a person. I've been more fit. Uh, going to the gym more uh, than I than I had been. Uh, so yeah, ultimately, some progress is being made there. Like I, once again, I don't know that I can consider myself sober or if that's the right lifestyle choice for me. But I will say improvements have been made. So I feel pretty darn good about that. Besides that, me and Vigilante last night recorded a really interesting podcast that I guess will be out today. Yeah, it will be out Wednesday as well. I hope I don't uh, coincide. In fact, now that I'm thinking about it, I better get communicate with uh good old vage so that i don't overlap in our uh, release schedule um because 
Your ridicule worked. Your 8 a.m. release schedule time critiques have worked, and I will change that so that I can premiere it and we can do a live chat alongside it at a more of a reasonable hour. I don't know. I mean, you already know what hour I picked by the time you're watching this. So I guess it'll probably be like 10, 10 or 11 tomorrow. No, 10. 10's the day. 10's the time, I mean. That's the time I'm going to be releasing. However, we have a really interesting podcast, so make sure you check that out later today if you're watching this before that release schedule. Uh, Because we had a comedian on, a local Austin comedian, not a huge, not a huge guy, just more of a Austin scene dude, but he's pretty well established. He's been doing stand-up for several years. And uh, I've seen him. I saw him do a spot at the Brass Tap in North Austin at the Domain. Um, and I, I thought it was pretty funny. You know, he's very competent on stage, something I noticed. It's seasoned. You know, he felt very comfortable up there. And then I saw him host a show that I saw about a year ago uh, with Bonnie McFarlane as the headliner. You may know her as the wife of the legend Rich Voss. Um, and also Annie Lederman featured there, did 30 f- killer, killer minutes. Annie Lederman is a great stand-up comedian. She murdered for 30 minutes. I mean, not a false note. Not one false note. Murdered the entire time she was up there. It was spectacular. And he was a host of that show. And uh, so anyway, I was at a bar the other night. Uh, like I said, not drinking. Um, <laughs> and I was out and I, uh, I, saw, I, I, was, I wanted to smoke a cigar. That's really the whole reason I went out. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't really that uh, jazzed about getting drunk. I just wanted to go smoke a cigar. And the cigar lounge that I go to in Austin was closed. So it was a little later. So I'm like, let me go, go over to Seven Grand, which is a bar in Austin, and they sell cigars at the bar. So I was going to go smoke one. And I saw him standing there. I was like, oh, hey, man, you're that comedian, right? And he's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. Went out and smoked my cigar. Then he went and took a seat by himself. I'm like, well, you know, I'm a hospitable kind of guy. I'm a friendly fella. You all know that about me. So I went and sat down with him, and we started talking. And it was a pretty cool conversation. We were talking a little bit about Invincible, that TV show, you know, about the uh, superhero son and his father is Superman, but he's the evil version of Superman. You know the show. Uh, and we're having a really cool conversation. And then the diversity in comics, the representation in comics uh, came to the forefront. And while, you know, y- you guys know, I think I've made my point of view clear i tend to be the type of person who's a little bit shy sharing what i really think you know so if i didn't make that clear i apologize um but uh we ended up talking about that and i I was like god damn it you know i still don't agree but man he was making it was just such a reasonable reasonable argument such a reasonable discussion and also it was very personalized i really thought his argument was very personalized uh, and it wasn't very pointed. And, you know, it definitely has the opinion of the kind of more of the mass, you know, like the the, the we kind of thing. And it doesn't, you know, it's it's uh, representation automatically means exclusion. Hi, Luke. You give me a little tail fluff here. Butt slap. Um, all right, buddy. All right. All right, pal. Come on. You're just supposed to be a, you're supposed to be like a houseplant. You're supposed to be like a feature. He wants attention. He's a floofy. He's a big floofy. Boy. Um, oh, where was I with the representation? Oh, yeah. So it's basically still kind of the argument that you've heard. But when he the way he personalized it was still it was just kind of like, ah, I can't really argue with that. You know, it wasn't it was totally reasonable. And then his girlfriend showed up. or I assume it was his girlfriend. It was a girl he was meeting. Very attractive African-American young lady. 
uh, and she uh, she sat down and talked about a lot of this stuff. And she was an actress um, and said to the effect about how she sat down with one of the top agencies in the country. And what they told her was that um, they were very interested in representing black women. Now, I would have assumed she being a black woman, that would be great news. <laughs> If I went to an agency meeting with one of the biggest talent agents in the country, and they're like, hey, we're very interested in representing uh, straight white men. I'd be like, that sounds fucking amazing. I didn't even know anyone in Hollywood did that anymore. That sounds great. I would love to be represented. Thank you very much. Well, she was not. Uh, she didn't believe in it. I'm trying to remember what her arguments were, and she said something to the effect that um, – now that white people suddenly, uh, you know, have this opinion, it's, it's, she's not gonna. I, I don't know. I, it was it was pretty ridiculous, in my opinion. I was kind of like, so you jump the line way ahead of your time. Guy uh, got the impression she had not been an actress for very long, so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm assuming there. Um, but you jump the line, uh, and then when you get the opportunity to be represented by these people, it's not it's not good enough because of the way. They said it, but then the two of them went on and on about how representation is important. It's like, well, they are also say that representation is important, so why would that be a problem for you? I don't understand it. And then I was like, well, why wouldn't you just take advantage of that? She's like, I'm not a sellout. I was like, I mean, I don't even know what to say to you. So then I detailed uh, some of my experience in Hollywood. Um, and, yeah, I told her, I was just like, listen, the, uh, when I was in L.A., the uh, interest was not in uh, straight white men, not at all. Uh, they, they didn't really care. They're, they weren't casting for it. You'd go to agents or managers, and they'd be like, You're just a, we're not looking for your type, which is code that, you know, we're not interested in, in you. We don't need you. It's not popular right now. Uh, you know, and, and it also, like, it permeated more than just the casting pool. It was permeated the whole town. You know, it was a political vibe. There was this sort of uh, contrition if that's the word. You had to be contrite about just being there. Uh, part of it, you know, com uh, conform to the political hive mind, which I'm never very good at doing. And it was, it was a whole culture or whatever. But, but ultimately, she did not find anything I had to say valid at all. Uh, she's like, it's your experience, and I'm not going to argue with that. But ultimately, still, I have white privilege. It was basically at the end of the day. And I was like, man, that would be I – would, I would love – some of that white privilege. I've heard so much about it. If I could capitalize on that, especially for entertainment, man, that'd be terrific. A fast track, a fast track to the front of the line in entertainment. Are you kidding me? I would cash that white privilege chip in in a second if I even could find it. If I could identify it anywhere, I would. Um, but unfortunately, I don't believe it's as real as a lot of people would argue. But, you know, hey, listen, it's just my opinion. And that's just my worldview and experiences, and that's all I have to go on. Hmm. Um, anyway, point is, I had this long, drawn-out conversation with them. Well, the comedian guy, Gabe, Gabe Davis, he was actually quite reasonable. While I, I said I didn't uh, agree with a lot of his conclusions, I didn't really think uh, everything he was saying was was like, yeah, I think that that's flawless. From his point of view and the way he argued, also the way he listened, uh, I was like, that was... Huh. Pretty interesting. So I invited him to come on the Culture Crime Fighters, and I did not think I would even get a response, let alone a yes. However, 
I did get a yes. And Gabe Davis came on last night, uh, the Culture Crime Fighters. Me and Vigilante Williamson recorded that episode, which will be up, like I said, later today. Number 69, dude. Oh, yeah. Uh, And uh, we had a really, really interesting conversation. And I think uh, it's really worth your time. I think you'll enjoy it. I think if you uh, have been in this conversation about representation in media and comic books and all that, I think you'll find it interesting. Um, me and Vigilante struck, like really worked to allow the man to have his take, to allow him to have you know his points to get out there. We weren't trying to steamroll him or come into some kind of an argument where we we're just like pwned lib like we wanted to really allow his point to be out there now that's not to say that i was just going to allow bullshit on my show of course not but you know we really just wanted to have a discussion and i think we did i think we accomplished kind of a lot because we really allowed both sides to be expressed and uh i feel that me and both vigilante and i expressed our point of view in a in a similarly cordial manner uh, that was the thing about the episode. It was super, super cordial. Uh, he said some things about Eric July that I, you know, don't really feel are grounded or fair, but he still kind of, it still wasn't like aggressive. He wasn't trying to change our minds. He was really just expressing his point of view on the whole situation. And I, I honestly was impressed. I didn't know what to expect. I had a feeling based on a tech, a message that I got from him uh, prior to the episode because I, Uh, asked him to watch a video that Eric July had put out about representation in comics and race swapping and tokenism and all that stuff. And uh, while his response was just salty, let's just say he used some salty language. Now, it wasn't directed at me, but it was more directed at Ripa. And uh, I was kind of like, oh, boy, I don't know what we're expecting. So I had some I had some bullets in the chamber in case it really started to pop off. But it never really did. Really didn't, you know, and it was just a very cool professional, respectful, uh, you know, just overall good conversation that I think if you are interested in this topic, you will uh, you will enjoy. So be sure to check out that episode that me and Vigilante Williamson did uh, on on the Culture Crime Fighters number 69, uh, which will be coming out later today. Um, yeah, it was it was cool. It was really, really cool. And I, and I know not everyone loves the pre-record method for the uh, Culture Crime Fighters. And I respect that. I totally understand that. I think we both agree, me and Vigilante, that the nature of the conversation is better. The product that we're putting out there for consumption is better, which is really ultimately the goal. Now, I understand interaction is a big part of, you know, this whole part of YouTube and this live streaming. I mean, that's what we do. Uh, so I, I get that. And that's what we do try to address that. Obviously, I still have the Emma for Cocktail Lounge. And anytime you want to throw barbs or insults at me, you can do that anytime you like. Um, but if, if you're feeling charitable, if you're feeling nice, you're feeling like you got a positive bone in your body, uh, why don't you head on over to Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts, and give this podcast a five-star review. I've already seen that some of you have done it, and I love you for that. Thank you very much. It helps get the numbers up, helps get the word out, gets the traction out. And look, let's just, you know, if, if you think about it long-term, if this show becomes successful, right, if I can if I can make enough money at this to let's say even go part-time at my job, well then I can do way more live streams. So if you want more live streams from me or from Vigilante Williamson, well I could say the best way you could do that is to head on over to Spotify, give me a five-star review and let the world know that you love me. 
Um, yes, yes. So that was cool. However, I will say, God damn, have I been doing a lot of streaming since. Yeah. Going back to last Wednesday, I have done a stream or a podcast or something every single day. Uh, I got the uh, MFR out late last week, uh, so I did record that on Wednesday, uh, put it out Thursday. But then Thursday night, me and uh, Mr. Uh, Imperitus, we did our uh, game stream, which is fun. We played that Generation Zero game, which was pretty cool. I don't know how compelling that game is while it is cool i don't it's just one of these things where i'm like oh is this sort of all it is is this just sort of going from town to town and base to base and killing mechs it's like there's not really like anything bigger to this i don't know how much long i'm going to play that anyway we're playing that then we had the culture or sorry then we had the cocktail lounge then saturday i did the salty nerd podcast with matthew kadish awesome time excellent if you guys have not seen that episode go check it out it was really fun i learned a lot from those guys you know, we had a good, it was a good two-hour broadcast. Matt runs a great show over there, super organized, way more organized than anything I do. He, he sent, like, an email with the topics and the articles and the links and stuff that, you know, we were going to talk about, which I am absolutely going to start doing um, because it, I just kind of puts everyone on the same page, you know, it makes it a lot more uh, professional. And this way you're not like, oh, did you see that? And they're like, no, and the conversation goes nowhere. Super organized, super cool. And then he did a really good job where he would introduce each topic and then go from panelist to panelist and get their take. And it reduces the crossfire. It reduces the crosstalk. There isn't a whole lot of melee and chaos like a lot of my shows do, especially the MF for Cocktail Lounge. You've seen it. And I thought they ran a great ship. And the guys on the panel were fun. You know, we were talking about a lot of different stuff. It was uh, We talked about Batfleck. I guess Ben Affleck is coming back into the uh, DCEU for the Aquaman movie. You know, I don't really care, but it was cool to talk about. But then we went through all the different Star Wars properties, which I was kind of, when I saw the topic growing up, coming up, I was like, oh, God. Like, do I have to pretend that this is news, that this is even kind of interesting? But uh, the other panelists were really cool about it. They were just sort of like, yeah, no, I'm not interested. This is going to suck, and you know it's going to suck. And it was kind of funny because Matt was sort of like, uh, it seemed like he was you know, getting a little bit of a sadistic pleasure and just sort of sticking the knife in and making us talk about each Star Wars property. We were just like beating our heads with the mic. Like, it was, it was really fun. It was, it was a really good show. I, I had a blast doing it. And then uh, Sunday, of course, we recorded the Culture Crime Fighters. It comes out Monday. Last, uh, uh, what Monday we did the, um, we did the the bonus episode with uh, Gabe Davis. And now today I'm recording this for tomorrow. It's been I. It's been so much podcasting, and it's crazy too. Cause like, I'm so I I'm so like uh, like tough on myself, or I'm so like, yeah, Yo, you got to be releasing more. You need shorts. You need this. You got to put out videos. You know, it's like it's it. You, sometimes you really just need to recognize like where you have had wins and like where you are putting in work. Like maybe all the results haven't you know bloomed. Your your herb garden is not necessarily producing lots of basil. Odd metaphor, I know, but it's the one that's first one that popped into my head. Um, but uh, but it's like that's a that's a fair amount of grinding. It's a fair amount of you know time on camera, consecutively using my voice, using my charm, if you can call it that, whatever. Just trying to be entertaining on a, on a camera. Uh, I was like, wow, shit, that's a lot. It's like that's almost like professional level, or at least a professional level of consistency. So it's like, wow. Oh. 
pretty gosh darn interesting. Okay, maybe interesting is not exactly the word for it, but it's interesting to me. It matters to me. Um, something that is interesting, though, is there's a YouTuber that I follow. His name is Chris Williamson. I'm a big, big fan of Mr. Christopher Williamson. He's from the UK. Uh, he's a, a very he's, very, he's he's articulate. He's smart, but he has like a kind of a bro, like what's the word colloquialism about him like it's just it's just very approachable uh it's, it's not like erudite or overly intellectual it's very you know just cool conversation and he he usually has the camera like straight on i think he stands when he does his broadcast which i'm like considering if i upgrade my little office system i might get one of those little raising desks because like sitting here I, messes up my knees man i don't know if you, you guys who watch me i'm always shimmying and shifting and adjusting because it's like i don't like sitting in one position for like like that for so long it's just i just don't think it's good for my body maybe it's good for other people it's not necessarily good for me but anyway he does his show called modern wisdom it's a great podcast i watch it all the time he, he has very interesting people on there you know he's had like sargon on there he had a, a very a long conversation with jordan peterson that's that's really how i got into him was when he uh had the Jordan Peterson conversations, but he'll also bring on like an evolutionary psychologist and he'll bring on just like really just fast people who wrote books. This guy wrote a stoicism graphic novel. Fascinating, fascinating guests. And uh, I really, I really like what he's doing. And I went to his meetup in Austin, Texas about month, two months ago now. That feels like two months now. And it was great. It was a really, really cool uh, meetup. It, it reminded me about the way they talked about uh, the way like uh, Marcus Aurelius or Epictetus or like these old stoic philosophers would get around and just talk ideas. Like that's what it felt like. It felt like everyone there was on some level an intellectual and wanted to just discuss ideas and have like stimulating and enriching conversations. It was great. I could have stayed there all night, but I had another obligation. I couldn't stay there for too long, which sucks because it was way more fun in retrospect it was much more fun to have stayed there i would have been more fun to have stayed there but hey you never know um but anyway a really cool i got to meet him he's a very pleasant guy jacked jacked i was feeling like pretty good about the shape that i was in and i was standing next to this guy i was like oh jesus i'm barely in shape compared to this guy uh but he's really really cool like just totally approachable intellectual engaged everyone there as if they were guests on his show there was no uh you know like pretension or, or barriers between like him and the people that had shown up for him it was it was really sick uh he was on joe rogan just today so for this release it'll have been tuesday but it was i was like shit dude way to go uh and he's been he's been blowing up on youtube i mean he did a uh but a week ago he did a four hundred thousand subscriber stream and he's already at 450 um and let me see where he's at now after the joe rogan experience i'm sure he's got a pretty significant bump oh no not really huh 454,000. i would have thought going on rogan would have given him like a hundred thousand just out the gate. I mean, every one of those episodes gets millions of views. So, huh, that's sort of weird. But I think it definitely like being on Rogan gives him gives a uh, a personality a pretty significant bump. Maybe because he's already kind of in the Rogan sphere. Maybe a lot of the people who watch Rogan already watch Chris. I don't know. But it was a great conversation. Like. I'm really impressed with the way Chris uh, engages with his guests. Like he had, uh, he talked to Jocko Wilhulknik, the um, Navy SEAL. And I was watching that interview and I'm like, you're not intimidated? 
<laughs> like, like I know Jocko is like he's a good speaker and he's he's in good, but it's like that, he's a Navy SEAL. Like, I don't know. Like Chris is cool. Like he he's just cool. I feel like I would be intimidated. Like I got a little nervous when we having Gabe on the show the other night because or last night because it's an outsider. You know, it's not just one of the the fandom nerds. You know what I mean? It's like it's that that even just that difference made me a little anxious for a few minutes. Um, but Chris, man, he really didn't seem nervous with Jocko, and he did not seem nervous with Rogan. I watched most of the episodes, like three hours long. I think I watched like two hours of it. But it was a great conversation, and it was really interesting. And I think I think Chris Williamson is a good dude when it comes to I I don't know the conversation whatever that means, but like the cultural conversation, because he, he's a, a smart guy. He's not a pussy. He doesn't um, conform to any kind of narrative. Like he seems truly like an intellectual, like a thinker, like he likes to explore ideas and explore different communities and like hear what they've got to say. And he's pretty, I, don't, I wouldn't say he's critical, uh, but let's just say sort of intellectually dismissive of like the aggressive left, you know, which is like, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're kind of entertaining that, it's hard for me to take you any kind of seriously. But it's not like that's not like his thing, you know. He's just an intellectual, and he talks about the nature of relationships. He was talking to Sargon about how uh, replacing, uh, you know, the next generation is going to be tough, and Sargon had his like really passionate opinions, and Chris is kind of like wrapping his mind around and talking with him about that stuff. It was really, he's a really he's a very good podcaster to follow i can't say that i watch literally everything that he does because while he is quite good it's also quite dry and i i can't always go for just the dry intellectual exchange i'm a big fan of comedy um and i i like to listen to comedians that go back and forth or just talk shit and have fun and just to kind of like let the pressure gauge kind of release you know uh so i i don't listen to like literally everything he does but i would say Pop on any one of his shows, and I think you'll get something good out of it. Chris Williamson, good broadcaster. Way to go, Chris. Congratulations getting on a Rogan. That's huge. I think it means it's kind of like you made it. You know, it's sort of like you're gilded. You're an interesting person. So I, I think that that's fucking terrific for old Christopher Williamson there. All right. Let's get into some news stories. Um, which one? Which one? Okay. This is uh, silly, but it's kind of fun. Let's see what we can do with it. Uh, let's see if it, if it comes out to be. I mean, it's not like reading the article necessarily is going to be incredibly stimulating, but the subject matter is pretty funny. Pretty funny because me and Vigilante Williamson covered something like this on uh, – uh, covered this exact story actually on the culture crime fighters like i don't know a year ago when this story came up uh and we were you know both kind of teasing it and essentially saying like yeah i mean you did this so that you could get attention and uh i i would say that this most recent development pretty much just supports that so demi lovato 29 explains she's now using she her pronouns oh as well as they them Oh, okay. I thought she just sort of like pulled the shoot entirely. Uh, but now she's she's not non-binary. She's she's a she, her, and a they, them, because she's such a fluid person. I mean, I could think of another word that's got the same amount of syllables. 
as fluid. Um, you know, one that just comes to mind is manic. There's a, a word that comes to mind, crazy. Uh, those, those words just popped into my head for whatever reason, just sort of associative uh, words. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not judging. I'm certainly no medical professional to make an assessment like that. But if you just sort of like, I'm, I'm a ghost hunter, and I'm now a they. I'm not a they anymore. I'm a she. I'm also still kind of a they. It's like, that, I think that's what's so funny about a lot of this pronoun stuff is it's it's such a you don't risk anything, but you get to claim that you're part of, you know, some marginalized group like for especially for a girl, literally nothing in your life will change like no man will find you less attractive, like your attractive status in the social hierarchy will be affected in zero ways. Nothing will change in that regard. Uh, you know, some people might kind of like, I don't know that I want to date a, a they, them, you know, I don't want to be on the other, on the receiving end of, of her political lecture when you get her going. But it, it's, it's like nothing, like, first of all, you just get these hollow applauses. And then, and then what? You still get to continue on with your life exactly as it was. No one's going to judge you. You won't lose work. Like, in fact, it's almost, it's like, what is this? Like, like you're basically just saying, like, I'm down with you, with the group. Whatever that is, whatever that means, I, I claim my allegiance. I'm part of you. Uh, it's like a non-binary. It's like that doesn't mean anything. It's such an empty claim. It's it's just like, hey guys, I'm I'm um, I'm not really a Marvel fan, not really a Star Wars fan. I'm just kind of a fan. Okay, <laughs> gives a shit. Nothing changed. Like I'm I'm a girl. I'm also kind of not a girl. It's like okay, no one's. We're not. Our view of you has not changed at all. We know exactly what you're doing. All you know, we your big pff, virtue signal flare. I see that loud and clear. But it's it's a completely empty gesture, and it's so empty. She walked it back in a year. Oi. Debbie Lovato has explained she is now using she, her pronouns in addition to her they, them, more than a year after coming out as non-binary. Could it be that because, like, the they, them is so confusing? Like, the they, them bothers me more than Zim and Zer. I don't like Zim and Zer because it's completely made up. But they, they is a plural. They has been a plural in the English language for, I don't know, a millennia. And for you to just sort of like co-op that and be like, yeah, now I'm a plural. Like every single time someone I know, and I've lived in LA and Austin since all this shit became popular. So I have encountered more than one they, them. And every time they, they, the person refers to they, when the person's not standing there, I always, always think they're referring to more than one person. So I have to be like, wait, who? Oh, right. Like, Every time it requires me more mental energy. I don't know why, because that's the English fucking language to for me to understand what you're talking about. Like, this is so manufactured. Like, I honestly think what you're saying when you're like, I'm a they them is I don't want to partake in this structure that I've been brainwashed into believing 
is oppressive, right? So, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be the underclassed uh, female who, who the patriarchy is going to shit all over. But I'm obviously not a man, certainly not a straight white man, who is the villain in our in our scenario and our little Dungeons and Dragons cosplay bullshit that we're putting on out here. Uh, so I'll just not be any of them. It's like that's not how any of this works, you know. I don't I don't know what your little college commies drilled into your brain with their little screws, but actually, you were born a woman. I, I'm sorry to inform you. Now you can feel however you want and. If you ask me to call you a guy, all right, whatever, I'll do it because I'm not a jerk. Like, fine. I had a I had a college teacher uh, when I was 19, and, and uh, she wanted to be referred to as he, uh, and or was it the other way around? It's the other way around. He wanted to be referred to as she, and you know, it's weird. And this, especially, this was like 2004, 2005, whatever. Like, this was like well before this was mainstream, uh, and it was weird. You're just like. <clears throat> Uh, okay. But honestly, after like a month, you're like, all right, it's just, she's a she. You really didn't even notice after a while. Like, it really wasn't that big of a deal. But also, the ask was small. You know, call me she. Okay. Mrs. So-and-so. And he had, she had such a feminine energy that you're kind of like, all right, it's not even really that much of an ask. You're just sort of like, all right, you guys are weird. But it's not like, okay, I'm not, so what? Like, it, it, it doesn't bother me. But when they keep pushing, keep, keep pushing. And don't acknowledge that I was ever a thing before that. And also now you've got to call me they. It's like, ah, right, enough. We were very polite. We were very accepting. But now you are just everything. Like also, that's I think the whole thing about cis. Like when you say cisgender, what that is, is just you're forcing to acknowledge trans people every single time you refer to anyone's gender. That's why it's so manipulative. That's why it's so fucked up. It's like, no, you don't you don't refer to every person as like able bodied because like, you know, three percent of the population is not able bodied. Like you don't you don't do that. So why would I refer to every person who's not trans as cis when only what one percent of the population is trans? It's crazy. It's just because it's propaganda. It's all just about keeping the narrative going and keeping these ideas going and blah, 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 blah. And boy, do they hit you with it all the time, man. Relentless, dude. I was watching this video. Uh, I guess we just pull a stupid fucking Debbie Lovato away. Uh, I was watching this video from Razorfist, and it was fascinating. He is a very good YouTuber. I like what Razorfish puts out a lot. And I got a retweet from him, so go me, man. I'm approaching the big time, one step at a time. Um, he put out a video called Hollywood Was Always Red. Great watch. Terrific watch. Go check that out. Essentially, what it gets into is this whole thing with McCarthyism and the Whatever it was, the, whatever board that was like looking into whether they're all commies, evil commies in, uh, in Hollywood was the whole narrative is completely shot. First of all, the House on whatever, whatever it was uh, committee, uh, they weren't actually founded to look into communists. They were founded to look into Nazis. They were founded to look into foreign powers who have infiltrated America and were working to uncover it. And reluctantly, they moved into going after communists. Fascinating. 
And I guess this senator from like Missouri was told this and he's just like, all right, I guess. And he went to Hollywood. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is like legitimately communist. And it's wild. Like they've been entrenched in this industry almost from the beginning. They had so much to do with a lot of labor union riots, a lot of like like uh, civil unrest. Uh, they do the same tactics that they do now, like accuse your enemies of like what you're going to do to sow confusion, that whole thing. Like they've it's not new. Like it seems new because it's so ubiquitous. It's so all over the place, but it isn't. And it's so it was such a fascinating watch. Like and then listening to Razor Fist, like how confidently he talks about it and how well researched you're like, dude, like people have been on to these guys for a long time. Like they're pulling the wool over like millions of Americans alive, tens of millions of Americans alive, like the world over. But there are a lot of people who are not fooled, who are paying attention and have been paying attention. And it's like, man, like we had a cocktail lounge. I don't know. A year ago, maybe it might have been one of the first cocktail lounges ever. I think it probably was maybe the first or second cocktail lounge ever where Red Shirt was telling us that the progressivism has been like 100 years old, right? It's been going on for like 100 years or whatever. And where I was just I was just what? Like, what are you what are you talking about? But no, man, like, you know, people people love to joke about the Red Scare and all this stuff, but where does most of that come from, right? Where does where do those critiques generally come from? The media, right? You mean you know you get it from the sources that were propagating it, that want to protect it. Now I saw it in a video game that was like a little. It was just like one little jab, but it was Wasteland Three. They had like a, a resurrected Reagan in the future, and he was like communist, communist, and they were sort of like, huh, huh, you know, this out of touch, uh, you know, Republican, but. For the most part, it's like that's where it's where you hear all this now. It's where you hear the whole thing. But it's like, well, it's only a scare. It's only unfounded if you're not actively working to subjugate the West and our institutions. And you very clearly are. It's very clearly happening. So it's not a red scare. It's not like it's un like it's not like a phobia. Like it's irrational. It's like a completely legitimate concern. Like you're mocking us for being because it's like, well, yeah, but. The Soviet Union was was up until 1989, I think, is what Razor Fist was saying, is that there was something like two, it was millions of dollars a year that the Soviets were funding to uh, to, to to help cultivate unrest in Hollywood and keep the prop up these ideas and these like these um, you know subversive institutions. It's like, wow, dude, like. You know, people joke about like commies, you know, I better better dead than red and you pink up a pro like legit like America's been under attack for communists for like 100 years. And like we are still under attack, like it's still happening. We're still very much like it's happening right now. That might have seemed like a uh, kind of a weird non sequitur rant there, but it's all tied into this whole like pronouny thing because so much of that stuff is about the patriarchy and the west and how evil it is and bringing it all down and going back to the demi lovato article uh that we were just talking about that's what spurned that whole thing and i was just reading this lovato 29 she's only 29 dude like i know like the they them pronouns thing is most typically a younger person thing um but man it just feels like she's gone through she's like so much 
has happened in her life. So many ups and downs from being a star to like being kind of like a post star. She's like eight years younger than me. It's like, God, girl, you know, maybe just work on like a little bit of you, you know, just chill for a little bit. I don't know. I didn't feel like a man. I just felt like a human. That's what they them is about. Oh, you felt like a human. That's so unique. What a what a what a completely unique feeling to have as a person on this planet. You just felt like a human. Well, that's so I don't feel like a human. Only you feel like a human, Demi. Not the whole fucking world. Bro, this obsession with identity is so weird. It's got to be about social power, right? I mean, I can't understand it, or like a like maybe feeling like a hole in yourself, like maybe like an existential dread or, or probably what the conservatives would say where God is supposed to be. But it's just it's something where it right. It's just like filling that with like, I'm a they, I'm a they. And you can't tell me I'm not. And if you do, I'll, I'll cancel you. Wild stuff, dude. Absolutely wild stuff. Uh, what a weird. On her Instagram bio, Demi states that her pronouns are they, them, she, her. Who's going to still, after she goes back to she, her, who's going to still call her they? But look at this, 138 million followers. You look at her like she's a nut job, right? Like she's crazy. But there's 138 million people who are consuming this. She's, whether, you know, half of them think she's nuts, a lot of people are exposed to this at the very least over the past year and a half i've been doing some healing and self-reflective work and through this work i've had the rev revelation that i identify as non-binary uh did you were record sales dipping and you needed some fucking ink <laughs> come on really and then you walked it right back so what are you talking like that's what it's all made up oh my god keeping these people in your head for too long i do not think is very healthy I don't I don't think it's constructive to a to a healthy human being because it's almost like because it's such a, an anathema to to normal thinking to to being grounded in the real world that the more you entertain it, I think the more it permeates, even if you aggressively disagree with it. I think it's almost just needs to be like just flat out dismissed and then you move on because if you if you stick with it for too long, I just don't don't think it, it, it it's healthy even to engage with it like combatively even until like disagree with it i think it's like o almost dwelling on it allows the idea to take root and to grow i don't know maybe i'm just being nuts but it does seem like the more i think about it it's like i don't, I don't feel better arguing against it it's like it's it's in my head like it shouldn't be in my head this is just crazy people talk all right moving on and actually moving on but uh, moving on to another little nut job. Good old Talcum X is back in the media. You all remember good old Talcum X. Uh, definitely not a grifter and definitely not a white man pretending to be black. Uh, Sean King claims he needed a 40, dude, a $40,000 Mastiff guard dog. Because white supremacists have tried to break into his house and threaten his kids because of his BLM advocacy. A $40,000 dog one? Bro, I feel like you could hire private security for $40,000 a year. Don't you? I mean, 
Or like, you could probably buy like 30 pit bulls. <laughs> Would that not be good enough? But you needed one $40,000 Mastiff guard dog. And apparently he bought this with donor funds. Apparently this was not just uh, out of good old Sean King's pocket. Not that I think he's got any other job other than, you know, stirring up racial division and controversy and collecting donations. But apparently that's where he got the that's where he got the money from. Sean King never change, buddy. Never change. You rule, pal. Look at that face. Doesn't he look like a jazz musician? who just desperately wants to be accepted by black dudes. Like, he's just like, if I just sort of lean into it, maybe people won't ask. But he goes out there telling people he's black, clearly not a black man, and we've seen his parents, and he just won't drop it. He will not break kayfabe. Listen, credit to him for keeping, the, keeping it going. I mean, I don't know that I could keep up Wendell for a full show. And this guy keeps it up for his whole life, so... I got, I got to respect the hustle there, man. I got to respect the commitment. You know, as an actor, someone who can keep his craft going like that, admirable, admirable. Controversial Black Lives Matter activist Sean King claimed he needed a pricey guard dog for 24-7 security for his family due to the barrage of threats from white supremacists who he alleged have tried to break into his home and harass his children. First of all, I want receipts. Second of all, a $100 pit bull from the pound could do the exact same job, buddy. On Tuesday, King wrote in a lengthy Facebook post about what his life has become. This is another constant amongst commies, too, right? You see it with AOC driving a Tesla. All these people who want to lecture the world about how they should spend their money, who should be taxed, and this, that, and the other. They always indulge in these luxuries. They're not like the Pope, right? They don't, they don't like, give all their salary away, get rid of all their niceties, and live in some kind of a hovel. They're not, you know, they're not just, uh, I was going to say, uh, they're not Mother Teresa, but apparently Mother Teresa wasn't Mother Teresa. I don't know, but I've heard that as alleged, so I don't want to use her, her name. Um, but they never do that. They're always driving nice cars. They're always well-dressed. It's all, like, you know, the BLM by large mansions. It's always, it's like, yeah, shut up. Shut up. You can't lecture the whole world and then you don't even live by your own codes and you want the rest of us to do it. It's like, so you want to enslave us because of the wrongs of the past? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not on board. Sorry if I've got some critiques. Sorry if that doesn't sound like that's the best path for me. You know, but there's also people like that where it's like, you're wealthier than me. Like there was a dude, I remember he was a lawyer in Beverly Hills. He grew up in Beverly Hills, black guy. And I was bartending, and he was trying to talk to me about, like, white privilege. And I'm like, dude, I'm serving you. <laughs> you live in Beverly Hills. How do I have privilege over you? And they're like, oh, no, it's not like that. It's like, it fucking is like that, dude. It absolutely is. Like, I'm in the service position. You're rich. You've been rich your whole life. Like, who do you think's had a it easier like <laughs> the fuck are you talking about man like oh simply with the color of our skin you're racist you're just you're flat out you're a racist person like that's it's like oh one time a cop asked me what i was doing in this neighborhood it's like that never happened to me nah cop has never pulled me over once and that's what i was up to not one time not once i spent more time each day thinking how about how to keep my family safe than i do doing the actual work i'm called to do 
the actually then that's a good thing <laughs> if you're so preoccupied with your family's safety it's keeping you away from trolling people on race that's actually i feel bad that your family needs to be put in danger but net net gain for the rest of us uh so now that so know this when you see the reports about the money it costs to keep me and my family safe it's nowhere near enough not at all not even close bro the balls on this guy bro that's what's amazing about these people aoc eddie the balls bull-faced lies i bought a forty thousand dollar dog one dog it's not like i bought a dog and then put him through you know twenty thousand dollars worth of training which would be egregious but not as bad the dog itself costs forty thousand dollars and he's just like you don't even understand it's not even close to enough i'm at war out here like what I would love to know what sort of mental delusion or psychopathy psychopathy that is actually existing. Like I would like a legitimate psychological diagnosis on this guy because that's nothing short of mental illness to, to, to boldly like don't even address it, but to boldly say, how dare you? You don't know what I'm going through. That was just the first step. Next, I'm buying a, a Black Hawk helicopter and rocket launchers. You're like, no, nah, no, nah, dude, no. That's how he justified allegedly using $40,000 in donor funds, dude. 40 grand. Bro, that's that's like tuition for like some black kid to go to like a good high school, right? $40,000. Like you're just like, "No, I, it's more important that I have a $40,000 guard dog than the people I claim to care for could go to school or eat." Or, you know, I'm sure like Someone's dead father needs they needs money for the home. No, no, no. What really matters for the black community is Sean King's got a pedigree mastiff. What a hero, dude. I mean, I need we need statues. We need sainthood for this dude, man. He should be raised above us. He should permanently be floating above us so we can just look up to him and be like, that's the man right there, Sean King. Sean King, the selfless, selfless savior of all, of all of us. Not just black people, all of us. He's Jesus reincarnated. Oh, and he fits the bill because the people make Jesus white, but he was actually black. It's all mixed around. Uh, <laughs> that's how he justified Boba. He later returned the dog. Oh. So you did it any... Bro. Bro, bro. So he, then he like guiltily returns it because he got busted, but still like maintain the, well then which one is it? He later returned the dog because it said the pup had a little too much energy. Bro, how does someone like this gain the promise? You know, it's not even that surprising, honestly, because I, I can't look at this idiot's face anymore. Bye, Sean King. Uh, I, people that I've actually encountered in my life, a lot of, like several people, who multiple people many people who are like in charge at the heads of organization actually their skill set is not leadership not uh, being well versed in the field that they happen to be in uh, not being particularly confident what their skill set is is rising to power like that's what they're good at like they it's just what they do they somehow know how to do it and I, i've seen it it's interesting it's kind of like a fascinating study what I, I've seen, like, they'll be authoritative with the people they need to be authoritative to, but they're, they're, they, they understand chain of command really well. So they'll be very diminutive, very submissive to the people who are above 
him, right? So that they really understand like the nature of the hierarchy so that they can climb it because that's their thing. It's not to do the better job. It's not to you know be a good leader that the, the group needs or whatever. No, it's just to get into the position of power. Like that's what they that's what their goal is to achieve. There's their you know status social status climbers, and uh, I bet that Sean King's actually was probably pretty good at that because it's like this guy's a fool. Like he's a total asshole. Like he clearly isn't black, and and he you know this says oh I need this dog then immediately returns it. He's like, which one was it, you cocksucker? He probably said that to save face and then realized he might get in legal trouble. I mean, who knows? But it's it's just like you look at a guy like that and you're like, how could anyone take that guy seriously? And then I think about the guys that I've seen who were in charge and girls who were in charge. Like, oh, no, actually, yeah. There's kind of I feel like there's like a sociopathic connective tissue to people like that. Like they are that's that's they have their eye on the prize and they they're good at it. They navigate it. They say all the right things to all the right people the whole way up, you know? And then when they get there, you're like this guy's a complete incompetent asshole. It's like, yeah, but now I've got the power so it doesn't matter. God, I mean, that's the only explanation I could think for someone who is this egregiously incompetent and like a total fool and like managed to become influential like now he's obviously a sideshow and it's a joke but he still has all that that donor money right and he still was a fixture in this movement for a while and obviously like he hasn't been completely left uh out of uh, out of the media i mean i don't know if people are still donating but it's like i feel like it's still not universal to to dismiss this fool but i don't know pretty goddamn funny i can't believe he returned the dog He's just returned it right away. Oh, my God. What a phony. You know, it's funny. Like, this picture, this this would almost be plausible, right? When you see him in this picture with his wife and kids, right? Um, and you see, like, his black wife, and it was obviously his black children. You do. It does look a little bit more like, oh, okay, I could sort of see it. Like, in that context... He does look a little bit more like African-American passing. But then when you see him there, you're like, no way. I mean, that's that's a white dude. I mean, he might be vaguely ethnically ambiguous. And if he's black, it's like one-tenth. But it's like then here in this context, you're like, oh, okay, I kind of see it. It's almost like the, his family gives him credibility for being black. I don't know. Look at this fucking dog, $40,000. Oh, I guess it was some award-winning dog. Well, you know where I got this cat? You know how much I paid for him? Nothing. I got him at the shelter. All I had to do was pay for his shots and all the little surgery and shit like that. I won the lottery on that one, huh? He had to pay $40,000, and then he gave it back. What a doke. What a, what a doke. I tried to say dork and joke at the same time. I invented a new slur, a new insult. Doke. Sean King's a doke. Don't be such a doke. Uh, okay, one more one more story before I go. This one's kind of sad, man. This sort of bummed me out. I was not uh, I was not happy to read this, but I was like, I guess it kind of makes sense considering how he passed. Um, but uh, Michael K. Williams, uh, he's got a memoir coming out, and he says, "Once crack came into my life, it just moved in." The Wire's Michael K. Williams was so high on cocaine when he was invited to meet Barack Obama, his jaw locked and he couldn't speak. Posthumous memoir reveals. Bro, that's fucking tragic. 
That's tragic. I mean, I, I didn't even really know he had such a big problem with, with substances. That was not something I was ever privy to. But when he died, he died of a fentanyl overdose. And, bro, that's a severe addiction. You're going into the White House to meet the president, and you can't stay sober for that meeting, and you're so high on cocaine, his jaw locked up? Oof. Brutal. The star of The Wire and Borwalk Empire, life, a lifelong drug addict. Oh, shit, I didn't know that, man. Who died of an overdose last September had been on a three-day binge. He'd been on a three-day binge before he met the president? You can't get it together to meet the president, man? Like, I'll, you know, don't want to speak ill of the dead, but... Buddy. Come on, man. Check into a rehab. Go to a spa. You know, drink some coffee. You know, sleep it off. What? I, oof. He struggled to speak, Williams admitted, and he was so checked out that he hadn't even known who Obama was when he got the invitation. What? He didn't know who the president was? How is that? Obama was president in 08, right? 2004, 2000. Oh, maybe he wasn't president yet. When was Obama elected? Oh, 2008. So in 08... The, one of the largest presidential campaigns, he didn't even know about it? Wow. How did he not know Obama was a guy? How did he? I mean, I remember hearing about Obama way before he became president, mostly because I lived in New York City at the time, and you know how people are. <sighs> but also, Obama was such a, he was such a force in politics at the time. He was such a, came out of nowhere, you know, and he was like so charming and so likable, and we were all, God, so over the Bush administration that, it, you know, he, he was like, it was black Jesus came to save us. And it all worked out. And America has never has never been better. It's been perfect ever since. Thank you, Obama. You did the you did everything you said you did you were gonna do. But he didn't even know who Obama was. Oof, boy. The future president gave him a look which said, I don't got time for this and moved on, writes Williams from Scenes. Oh, what a regret. What a regret, man. I've had regrets from doing drugs and stuff, but I never no one ever invited me to meet the president. In the book, Williams reveals that the mistreatment by his tough love mother was one of the key reasons he turned to drugs, which led to his... Un oh, my God. He blames his mom? That's got to be tough for her to read. Is she still around? Oh, boy. That's brutal. Uh, he was born in East Flatbush, spent his childhood in the Vanderveer public housing complex project surrounded by drugs and violence. Yeah, I mean, that environment, it's, it's, it's you know, makes sense. She told Williams that he had a touch of evil and had disappointed God. That's what this, your mom told you, dude? Yikes. That's going to fuck with your head, bro. You know, that's an interesting thing, too. You know, women are like, what, am I supposed to just be a mother? You mean just the most important figure in the lives of every single human? Yeah, just that. Just that little thing. Just that minute, no big detail. You know, the one that uh, soldiers cry out for when they're dying on the battlefield. Just that, you know. Just the most important figure in every human being's life. Yeah, just that little thing. That that menial task that we've just shoved you into the corner to take care of. That Yeah, that completely insignificant, you know, uh, sweep it under the rug, bullshit position. Yeah, no big deal. They say... 
one of the commonalities among serial killers uh, was being humiliated by their mother when they were a kid. Uh, it was something like it would be. It would be something like vaguely sexual. Not that it would be sexual abuse, but it would be like I remember there was one. I think it was. I don't know their names, uh, but anyway, it was like well, the, the the big dude from that Mindhunter show that I guess he had like a women's shoe that he like took and like loved, and his mother like smashed it, burned it, and buried it in the backyard, and that fucked with that kid so severely that he ended up, ended up becoming a serial killer. They say that that is a big part would be humiliation by their mother when they're a kid, and it's like. You know, you're the mothers. Mothers have a big influence on their on their children. You know, especially their sons. It's not something to be overlooked or under or dismissed. It's spectacularly important. Uh, and I like that the seven are like just a mother. Yeah, just that little thing. Um, and so she told him that she had a touch of evil and had disappointed God. Oof, oof. A put down which made him feel unworthy for his whole life. See his whole life that stuck with him. Williams feel, reveals he was molested as a child by two men, and that, oh boy, oh boy, he went through a lot. Ugh. And despite being nominated five times for Emmy Awards, he was so broke after his big break on the wire, he was kicked out of two homes because he couldn't pay the rent. Man, this is a tragedy. I never heard any of this stuff while he was alive. I, I He used to do Jim and Sam a lot, and, uh, you know, we always just seemed like a good spirits kind of guy, just happy to be there, always doing, like, charity work. Wow, this is heartbreaking, man. Williams' death shocked Hollywood and came uh, with the bitter irony that he had just been nominated for his latest Emmy for his role in the TV show Lovecraft Country. He was found at his apartment in Brooklyn, New York on September 6th, and the uh, yeah acute intoxic intoxication of fentanyl, heroin, and cocaine. Ooh. Bro, in your 50s? That's, 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 you shouldn't be doing that at any point in your life, but in your 50s, that's brutal. His memoir was completed posthumously by co-writer John Sternfeld, who writes in the introduction that he had spent two and a half years working on it. Wow. He was uh, born in 1966, blah, blah, blah. Wow. Ah, that's brutal, man. Man, that's, uh, that's a pretty dark, pretty dark story. I might read the book just because I'm a big fan of his and, uh, you know, a big fan of The Wire. Um Wow, that that's uh, that's a shit, shit stories, shit truth. Sorry to end the show with such a downer, man. Um, but wow, that was a I didn't I didn't know it was gonna be so dark. I just saw the one thing about Obama, and then I was like, oh my god, what a tragedy this guy's life. Whew, that is absolutely brutal. Well, please like and subscribe. <laughs> Comment down below what you thought. Um, yeah, wow, golly, that was not really I probably should have picked a better story to end on i'm sorry but uh we're out of time and that's gonna do it for the 11th episode of the amateur cocktail lounge thank you so much for watching i hope that you enjoyed this um i don't know if it seemed like this but i did potentially i did intentionally structure this slightly differently i just just didn't want to talk about purely news stories i wanted to just sort of go off I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that that was entertaining. I think it's better for me, more therapeutic, uh, going to make me happier as a broadcaster, which I think is like the ultimate goal for both of us. Uh, you enjoy it. I enjoy it. Win-win. Um, so thank you so much for watching. If you did enjoy it, please press like. If you have not subscribed, please do so. Uh, and if you can go so far as to give me a five-star rating on those other platforms, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, 
If not, you can always catch this show there for your convenience and your leisure. All right, thank you so much for watching this show today. I really appreciate you, and I will see you on the next one. Make sure you check out Vigilante Williamson today. Uh, Culture Crime Fighters. I'm not sure what time. Somewhere in the afternoon. It should be already scheduled. But check that out because that was a really, really good interview uh, with Gabe Davis, the comedian. So, uh, yeah. Give yourself, give yourself the treat to watch the Culture Crime Fighters interviewing Gabe Davis. All right, thank you so much. Y'all have a wonderful day, and I'll see you on the next stream broadcast video, whatever. Have a good day. 